Let's all stand together then at this time. Uh, we're going to look at a message. Uh, I started a series on the treasuring clay pots a few weeks ago. And today uh, we're going to be going back to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Clay pots, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. May God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. This passage speaks directly to the purpose of God for our lives as believers in Christ. We remember this passage takes us back to the creation where God spoke and light became. And it is that same God who has shined in your heart and mine, darkened with sin though they might be. He has, he has shown in our hearts to bring us to the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We spent some time considering the fact that God placed this treasure then in earthen vessels, your life and my life, so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We've concluded that the gospel, even though it is in a clay pot, is very effective. Uh, It doesn't need human enhancement. It doesn't need a special venue. It doesn't need experts. God put the glory of the gospel in your life and in my life so he can shine it out into this sin-darkened world to those whose minds are blinded to the gospel. But they're open to you. They're your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, people that know you. And by getting to know you then, they begin to learn there is something different about you. And that difference is the truth of the gospel, uh, the the, uh, treasure in a clay pot. Last week we saw how that God then works to open the pot, our life, to reveal the treasure that is on the inside. Our troubles, our afflictions, our burdens, even our dying, he said can be used of God to reveal the treasure that is in us. We want to begin our consideration then today of this passage, basically where we left off last week, and that was in verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus And will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. That grace having spread through the many. Having spread through the many. Through the many. May cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Modern Christianity. I mentioned this last week. Is uh, in great danger from the spirit of the Christian celebrity. And the spiritual superstar. And I'm not belittling anybody who is greatly used of God. Many great men and great women are being greatly used of God to build great churches, to write books. Uh, There's all of that. But the whole principle of our text that the treasure is put in clay pots is that God has many, many who are living ordinary lives that are being extraordinarily used of God. So that it's not just the person who is so well-known, the person who is famous, uh, but it is the many multitudes, the many that the gospel is working through. So that as you go about your business, you are shining out the truth of the gospel. It, It is on your best days. It is on your worst days. 
especially on your worst days, as you go through the worst times, that the gospel light of Jesus Christ is touching others. And the gospel works through this many, the many. Uh, There's somebody you work with, maybe, this hypothetically gets to know you. Maybe, maybe they show up at our church one Sunday morning. Maybe they show up somewhere else. They got to know you. And the reason that they had an interest in spiritual things was because they got to know you. Maybe a conversation you had that didn't seem to have any impact at all. Maybe it hit home a lot more than you thought. But here's this person. Maybe they go to church. They hear the gospel. They're saved. They're baptized. You see, it's real easy for us to focus on that pastor maybe that leads them to Christ or that pastor maybe that baptizes them. But I want you to know that the gospel works through the many. So it's not just one person. It is many people that God is working through. This person, that person, you, 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 and you, all of us. As we move around our life and go about our business and interact with people, all of us are shining the light of the gospel. And listen, the darker that this world gets, the brighter this gospel light shines. The gospel works through the many. Paul put it this way in his first letter to the same church, the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3 and 5. Who then is Paul, he said, and who is Apollos? <laughs> Boy, what great questions those are. Can you imagine the book deals Paul and Apollos would be offered today? <laughs> My goodness, I tell you, they'd have a list out. Who knows? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed. So as the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he who plants anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. That's the whole point that he makes in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. That God is working through the many, and through the many then it abounds to the glory of God. So when we see somebody walk down the aisle, they've been saved. We see them going through the waters of baptism. They're being baptized, professing Jesus Christ. You say, man, who won them to the Lord? We did. We did. The many. The many. You never know what kind of impact it's going to have. Just a simple conversation. A few moments to talk to somebody. Meet them. Shake their hand. Hear a little bit about their story. Maybe that person that helps us when we're in the hospital or sick. Maybe that person who's around us when we've lost a loved one. The great tragedies of life. Even through our difficulties and our struggles. Sometimes especially through our difficulties and our struggles. God opens up the vessel, your life and mine, and reveals the treasure of the gospel. And so we have in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Since we know that the vessel must be open to reveal the treasure, and we, knew that God, we know that God uses the difficult 
things and even the tragic things to reveal that treasure. We don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't quit. All the way down to chapter 5 then in verse 11. Uh, we'll get a number of passages, a number of statements that begin either with therefore or for. And whenever you see that in scripture, you're seeing an application made. So that Paul has given us the truth. There is a treasure in earthen vessels, a clay pot. And then this is what it means to us. And there's a very extensive application made of this principle over the next many verses. All the way through verse 11 in chapter 5. It's four, four, therefore, four, four. And it begins here. Therefore, we don't lose heart. And he'll go on in our passage today to give us three reasons why that we don't lose heart. Verse 16, therefore then we do not lose heart even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So the first reason why we don't lose heart is because of the renewing, the renewing. Our inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, the outward man refers to our human body, this body. They are subject to, these bodies are subject to fatigue. They're subject to frailty. They're subject to stress and sickness and suffering. And most of all, they're subject to that vicious aspect of the fall of humanity and sin that we know as mortality, mortality. Now, for a time, we seem to be immune. I mean, after all, we're born as a little baby. We're getting larger. We're getting bigger and stronger. Uh, even in, in we hit our late teenage years, but there's still a lot of maturing to be done. There's still a lot of development to be done. They tell us that our, our brain doesn't fully mature until age 25. Uh, our bodies are not fully mature until about age 25. So for a while, we're growing up, and then we're filling out. <laughs> uh, and, and then we kind of maintain that for a little while. Although it is hard to stop that filling out part. Amen. I tell you, it just wants to keep on and going and going. Therefore, while we're 30 and in our prime, before we know it, we're 50, then 60. And eventually, everything is locked into that downward spiral that this passage calls perishing. Our outward man is perishing. Interestingly, the word there in the Greek language is diphtherios. It's the word our word diphtheria is derived from. It is a wasting away, a corruption, a rotting a condition that becomes steadily worse. The outward man is perishing. We can slow the process down somewhat. But then so many things happen. Accidents, illnesses. And they strike almost as often to people in their prime as they do to the aged, the outward man. Is perishing. Now, the human author of this epistle, the Apostle Paul, was no doubt showing some miles. Second Corinthians eleven twenty four, he writes, "From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. I'm sorry, this always breaks me up." Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, and I, 
in a day I've been in the deep. And journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Paul was in a lot of peril. And those of you who've been in those kind of situations, you know that it takes a toll on you after a while. Never being able to relax. It didn't matter if he was in the city or in the country. Wherever he went, he was constantly in peril. In weariness and toil and sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst and fastings, often in cold and in nakedness. Paul was definitely showing some wear and tear on his body. If it was an automobile, we wouldn't buy it. They'd sell it to the wholesalers at best or take it to the junkyard. Man, this thing is wore out. Look at it, all beat up. Can you imagine what it looked like? After, <laughs> after being stoned. You know, their main target was the head. This outward man looked rough. But thank God. Thank God today. That's only half the story. Because while the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see, for the believer in Christ, there's a completely different aspect to this whole thing of life and living. Because while the outward man is subject to decay and will, it will. Yet for the Christian, there is another side of us that does not have to decay because it can be renewed day by day by day by day so that our inward man, the spiritual side of us then, gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It's a contradiction in a way. It may be somewhat of a paradox to us that our outward man then is perishing, but At the same time, for the believer, our inward man is being renewed. How that strengthening occurs. And and remember, folks, it's not automatic. I said it can be, but it's not automatic. It's possible to be a Christian, a believer in Christ, and yet uh, be declining both physically and spiritually. It can happen. And oftentimes it does. And the way that we are renewed then is by... What the Bible calls godliness. The same writer, the Apostle Paul, would write to his young protege, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, and say, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable in all things, having promise for the life that now is and the life that is to come. Exercise yourself to godliness. He'll go on in that passage. And again, that's 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can read it later. I don't have time to read it all to you today. But if you read it later, you'll see that he mentions the reading of Scripture, the teaching of others. He mentions learning doctrine. He mentions our labor and our service, our lifestyles, the way that we live as we walk in the Spirit. He mentions loving others. Uh, He mentions our personal purity. All of these things relate to what we call the spiritual disciplines. 
We call it that for a reason. Exercise yourself unto godliness. Like any exercise, over time it may seem like we're not seeing much result. And we're tempted to quit. And often do. We know what that's like in the physical realm and we know what that does to us. In the spiritual realm, it is just as devastating, maybe more. Because, you see, we, in the spiritual realm, we have done that. We've read our Bibles. We have studied the Scriptures. We have taught others. We've served. We've loved people. We've taught people. But it just doesn't seem like we're making much headway. And over time, then, we get tired. Just as we do with any exercise. We may think of just chunking it all in. After all, we spend a lot of time going to church and serving Jesus. There's a lot more things that are a lot more fun. They may seem to be at least more productive. But I'm here to remind you today that those, that spiritual discipline, that exercising ourselves rather unto godliness is producing results that we can feel to the very depth of our soul. It is this coming to church. It is listening to the preaching. It is worshiping God together. It is worshiping God in our own personal time. It is reading the Bible, singing songs of praise, praying to God, talking to others. All of these things are nourishing our souls so that they are being renewed then day by day so that the outward man yeah the outward man is breaking down yeah that's what it does but our inward man can keep getting stronger and stronger and the interesting thing is that the more your outer man perishes the more you're going to have to rely listen on the inward man Jot your little note down, Proverbs 18, 14. Just write that reference down. Proverbs 18, 14. Because it says, The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. I don't have time to preach that sermon to you today. But the Bible gives us very... Significant truth, Proverbs 18, 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. Folks, it's not a question of if. It is a matter of when. There will come a time when you will need your spiritual man, your inward man, to kick in and keep you going because your physical body is wearing out and decaying and breaking down. And you will need that spiritual side of you to kick in. And if your spiritual side is being renewed, if your spiritual side is strong, if your spiritual side is healthy, then it can do just that. It'll sustain you. But if your spirit is wounded... The Bible says, who can bear? Who can bear? A wounded spirit. There'll come a time when you will need your inward man to be strong. And that can happen. But there's only one way that it can happen. And if you wait until you need it and you say, oh yeah, I'm going to jump in here. <laughs> Man, I'm, having a, I'm in a bind. Let me pick up my Bible. I'm going to read 29 chapters today. Yeah. Listen, you know it. You know it. The only way that 
your spirit can be strong when a crisis comes and you need it is for that spirit to already be strong. What you're doing and coming to church, reading your Bible, you say, man, I'm just tired. I know it gets tiresome sometimes. It does. But that inward man can be renewed day by day. And even if we're not seeing any evidence anywhere, it's happening. Your spiritual man, the inward man, is being renewed. I've got to move on. It then calls upon us to consider the weight for our light affliction, which is but for a moment. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our light affliction. This is a word that speaks of pressure. Uh, to, and it can be anything from affliction as it is here to persecution, suffering of all kinds. Anything that puts us under pressure is affliction. Now there are two things that he says about our affliction. He says, number one, they are light. And number two, they're temporary. They're but for a moment. Now I have to admit that I have never had a time of physical affliction that felt light. I don't know how you are, but folks, when I'm sick, I am sick all over. Just ask my wife. I tell you, it, I'm, it, it, I feel it. And, and, and I never feel like it's just for a moment. It just seems like it drags on and on and on. I mean, I don't like to be sick for a day, much less for 10. And some of you are dealing with sicknesses that never like let up. It's relentless. And I know it. I, I see the toll that it has on you. I know it. I'm, I'm not entering into this lightly when I say that, what the Bible says, that our afflictions are light and that they're only for a moment. They're temporary. But it's only true, folk, because of the second part of this statement. And that is that we know that God is using these things, whatever they might be, to reveal the treasure in us and through us. And the result then of what God is going to work through our afflictions that work in us then a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And it's like he is calling on us to put them on the scale. And remember their scales went like this, those balance beam scales. And so here we are, minding our own business, and all of a sudden trouble hits, sickness hits, accidents comes, something happens, business reversal. Uh, put whatever you want to in there. All of a sudden an affliction comes, and what does it do? Wham! And the scale just bottoms out on this side. And if that's all we had, we would well be allowed to go through life murmuring and complaining about how bad we've got it. But as a believer in Christ, there's something else to this. Because he said, when we go through this, we know that God is using that in order to open us up and reveal the treasure. And because we know that, the scale then bottoms out on the other side to a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Thump. Our afflictions are but for a moment. If they last a lifetime compared to eternity, they're still but for a moment. James said it best, what is your life? The whole thing. It is like a wisp of steam that appears for a moment and is gone. Compared to eternity, a whole lifetime is short. 
But since we know as a believer in Christ that God uses these afflictions of ours to open us up and reveal in us His glory. He is showing the gospel out of us through our difficulties. Since we know this, we don't lose heart. We don't give up. We don't give out. We keep going. Why? Because the good that God works through this is not temporary. It's eternal. And whatever our sufferings may bring into our life, whatever they are, they are overwrought then by this eternal weight of glory. You may well spend eternity with someone who came to Jesus because God opened you up and revealed the treasure in your life. Far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. And remember, when that happens, of course, the glory goes to God, not to us. We're just a clay pot. It's God then who gets the glory. So we don't lose heart because of the renewing. We don't lose heart because of the eternal weight of glory. And lastly, and quickly, we don't lose heart because of the unseen. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, this seems to be contradictory. How can you see something that can't be seen? It's simply a matter of focus. Now, I'm going to ask you all, everybody here, from the balcony front to back, I, I want you all to do something this morning, and it's going to make you feel a little silly, and I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. And what I'm going to ask you to do is spread your, hold your hand up like this and spread your fingers out and hold it up right in front of your face. Now, I want you to look at the fingers on your hand. And without moving your hand or your head then, I want you to look at me. Look at your fingers. Look at me. You see what happens? You see, when you look at me, your fingers get real blurry. And you see right through them. When you're focused on me, though, everything out, out there gets really blurry. I mean, you can see there's people out there. I can, but y'all are all real blurry, even more blurry than you normally are because I don't wear my glasses when I preach. But, I mean, man, you're really... You see, it's all a matter of focus. It's all a matter of focus. We, we, we focus, we look, we, we look with intent, we focus. Not on the things that we can see, but on the things that we can't see. And that refers to the whole spiritual side of life. We've never seen an angel, we've never seen Jesus, we've never seen heaven, we've never seen God the Father, we've never seen the Holy Spirit, we've never seen a resurrected, glorified body. We have never seen a spirit or a soul. We can't see any of these things with our physical eyes. Which is why the Bible gives us those great principles of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We say seeing is believing. If you're from Missouri, you know all about the show me state. 
And if you ever lived there, you'll understand they're pretty serious about that. But this passage calls on us to focus on the unseen things because it is the unseen things that alone are eternal. Whatever we see with these eyes, whatever we touch with these hands, they're not going to last. They're not going to last. No matter how precious they are to us, they're not going to last. They're not going to make it through eternal. And the only thing that is eternal is the spiritual realm. These are the unseen things. Do you say, do you really believe in the unseen world? Folk, I believe in the unseen world more than I believe in what I see. Because appearances are often deceitful. We often think we see things and we don't see them. <laughs> but folks, when the God's Word tells us that something is there and something is real, then we know it is there and we know it is real because we have the very Word of God on it. Yes, I know there's a heaven to gain. Yes, I know there's a hell to shun. Yes, I know there's such a thing as an eternal soul. Yes. And it is that unseen world then, the things that we don't see. God gave us a glorious example of that with Moses. Hebrews chapter 11 says that by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses could see Pharaoh... He could see all the wealth and power of Egypt. He could see all that was available to him as the child of Pharaoh's daughter. He could see that. It was very visible to him, very obvious to him. But instead, he endured. What endured? His faith endured. Why? Because he saw the invisible. <laughs> and amazingly, he saw the invisible so much that he got to see him. Got to talk to him. Not face to face. No mere mortal body could stand that. He, but he did see the glory of God as he passed by. He saw his back. Remember? Oh, man. He endured, Moses did, because he saw the unseen. So with these Three things. The renewing, though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed. The weight, uh, our light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Uh, the unseen, we look not at the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. Our focus is on the unseen world. Therefore, we don't lose heart. We're perishing, yet we're being renewed. We're afflicted. But it works in us a weight of glory. We can see then far, far more than we can see. Sooner or later, you see, we're all tempted maybe just to quit. That's what losing heart is. To, to give up. To quit. Uh, to stop. But then we learn that this spiritual discipline matters. That God has put a treasure in this clay pot. And as he is opening that pot up to reveal the treasure. He is also renewing us and encouraging us. Though we might not get to see everything we want to see. Our attention is on the unseen world. And we don't give up.
The old King James put it this way. If you do not faint, or if you faint not. And it's used in, a, in another passage. Paul used that same expression. Where he said, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that, the flesh shall, he that soweth of the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth unto the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And you've heard a lot of sermons preached on that. Yeah, you're going to reap what you sow. Well, that's true. That's true. But that whole passage did not have a negative connotation warning us about sin. It had a positive connotation encouraging us about how we live. Because it goes on to say, very next passage. And be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you shall reap. If you don't lose heart, if you don't give up, if you don't quit, any farmer will tell you there comes a time when he's chopping that cotton or when he's working out there in the fields and shoveling levees, there'll there'll come a time where he might wonder, I'm putting in all this work and there's no guarantee I'm going to get a crop. Hailstorm might come through and wipe it all out. But does the farmer, does the farmer just quit? Or does he keep shoveling levees? Does he just stop? Or does he keep working? He's just got the possibility of a harvest. Listen, we as God's people have God's guarantee. In due season, you will reap. Unless you quit. Unless you quit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's stand together, please.